0: Welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Mark Smith and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. This week's exchange is with DJ Pete. Peter Kushnerite has worked at Harwax, Berlin's most influential record shop, since 1991, making him its longest serving employee. In the last few years, though, he has taken a step back from the shop. Rather than selling other people's music, he's focusing more than ever on his own. His output over the years has been extraordinary, from his 1995 debut on Chain Reaction with Rene Lerva as Scion, to his live project with Sleep Archive, TR101. But it's DJing that has long been his main mode of expression, fueled by eclectic taste, an undying appetite for cutting-edge records, and his ever-evolving technologically deft style of mixing. In this recent conversation with Will Lynch, Kushnerite unpacks how his approach has changed over the years and how Harwax shaped his life in music. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with DJ Pete is up next,
1: your first gig or your first time messing around with decks or mm. where did those 30 years what was the moment where that began
2: well i would say djing means that you go to a place where people listen to music or dance and you are the person playing music right so i would not include like birthday parties or something like this so i actually uh, started with a little bit of a residency in Berlin Kreuzberg and that was in 88 i have no exact date it was during the year and i remember the place very well it's a place we call a Tanzkneipe it's actually a pub that has a dance floor but it's more like a pub Mm. so you also you do not pay entrance you just go there for drinks and if you're up for a dance you just dance You've had several people there playing during the night. And uh, so my, my friend and I, we were playing there not very often, but I think at least once a month, something like this.
1: And what's your life as a DJ like today? Like <clears throat> you're traveling a few times a month for gigs or something like that, and you record mixes, and, mm-hmm. or how would you describe it?
2: I would start with a quite of a bit. Big change that happened in the beginning of two thousand fifteen, where I decided to live from being a DJ. Before, I was um, employed at Hardwax, and that so Hardwax was kind of the the center of my income officially. But then I switched it around, went to apply for the Künstler Sozialkasse. And now, actually, uh, since uh, 2015, I'm officially a DJ. So, here.
1: Social Casa. can you just explain what that is exactly? Yeah, yeah
2: the car. It's a social insurance thing for artists, but it's pretty similar to being employed with some company. Hmm. It's not really being a self-employed. It's something in between.
1: How did it go, or how how has your life been different since then?
2: Yeah, so... I spend more time on, um, on selecting music, that's for sure. Before, everything was kind of like in a rush. I felt myself being in a rush during the week, because I had a half the week working at Hardwax and then during the weekends I had, let's say, up to two gigs for example. I always felt rushed to select records and nowadays I have one day at the record shop, the rest is just uh, for the music, which is great. What led up to that
1: decision? Or, you know, did you go through a period of just really wishing you had more time to DJ?
2: I think so. I think so. And um, it's a thing where you try to balance out, yeah, what's happening in in your life. I mean, there are also like more requests coming in due to working with a booking agency. That's also another thing that I have not really done before. I was taking care of my own bookings for many, many years. And ever since I worked with an agency, I had more gig requests. Therefore I needed more time during the week for the music. Mm. So that was my focus. You
1: said you have a lot more time now to select music. What are your personal kind of methods for hearing new music and processing new music? How do you, you know, cycle new records into your DJ repertoire? Mm-hmm. Just How does all that work?
2: It's a bit under construction at the moment. There is, of course, Hardwax, and uh, Hardwax, um, like, offer music that is not on vinyl. <laughs> right, yeah. On the other hand, I really appreciate going through music promos that you got sent, which accidentally happened a little bit. I have no idea how that really happened. But you uh, mean
1: you, you receiving all these promos? You're yes, not
2: sure? <laughs> yes, but... N- not not on purpose, so I was never signing up with any services. Uh, uh, services, yeah. so uh, that happened, and I really appreciate that. So I go through all these, and luckily, it's a lot of music that comes across, you know, that I've that I've I haven't heard about, and also some stuff that is uh, also showing up at hardwax later or other record shops worldwide.
1: I recently listened to the mix you did for. Mary Lou's show on mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. France. I mean, that seems like a very carefully constructed... It doesn't seem like something you improvised, or it, it feels like there's a lot of thought behind the, mm-hmm. the structure and the flow of the whole thing. Could you just sort of walk me through how you did that mix, how you mm-hmm. planned it and how you executed
2: it? Yeah. So there is all the music that I really like that is off the regular 4-4 techno world, and mostly I focus on stuff from that is very influenced from, from England, that has quite a lot of music elements in it, more than just beats or percussions. And these are sometimes hard to play, or not hard to play. Actually, I do play them <laughs> in my sets these days, which is very good. Um, Another thing we talk about later, I, I'm pretty sure, uh, when it comes to like technical stuff. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So there's this um, great listening type of music with slight grooves, and these I like to put together with some broken techno stuff, you know, to make it, uh, yeah, like a, a listening experience that you maybe not have all the day. And how
1: does it work in terms of, like, do you just collect all your favorite stuff of the moment and then just let it rip and see how it goes? Or do you kind of have a plan in your head?
2: It depends on what is um, arriving, you know, in my archive or music archive. And you, you see something like Dominate, which you want to share with everyone. <laughs> then, And you see a kind of a similarity in, 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 in things. You can put it to a mix. Which I like to do, that you see a little bit of a theme. So the Mary Lou mix has a, more like a like a, like a earthy, let's say that's called a tribal emotional type of flow, as well as some uh, more techno-y stuff as well.
1: Even though it all kind of fits together, or it all you know seems unified mm-hmm. by yeah sort of feeling or a vague theme, the mix of genres in that mix, and also just the way. You DJ in general, I find it's quite broad in terms of genres. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's a bit of qualm in there, like you said, broken techno and James Ruskin, classic techno. Mm-hmm. Um, having that sort of open minded, broad taste, do you find that sort of essential to, I don't know, your your approach to listening to music, your, your taste in general? Mm.
2: It helps a lot to keep yourself interested in music and to keep yourself entertained. I think this is the better way to say it. If there's harmony between two pieces of music that are from complete two genres, it's great to put them together.
1: And you also mentioned that you find you're particularly taken by things uh, that come from England. Mm -hmm. And I guess, to some extent, that seems to be the case with your your role in the wax treatment series and whatnot. Um, Mm Why do you think that is, or what, what is it about music from the U.K. that kind of speaks to you? And I guess it's not just you; it's kind of Hardwax Crew in general. Mm-hmm. But what's the essence there that that you find so compelling?
2: Yeah, I think it's it's music that's that has this emotional, out of the ordinary, cutting edge. Yeah, I, all this IDM thing and dubstep thing. It's so hard to explain. It's more like a gut feeling. Mm. <laughs> yeah there were also like several things from america and france for example that were like crazy cutting-edge music you know that comes together in dance music in a way Mm -hmm. so yeah it's still about cutting-edge dance music i would say
0: Hmm.
1: is that sort of always been your the thing that gets you excited is that that feeling of something being slightly different or cutting edge as you put it Mm -hmm. do you have a soft spot for just like straight
2: ahead bangers The straight bangers can also have some cutting-edge vibes, you know. If you put this together somehow, it's quite entertaining, I would say. Mm
1: -hmm. So when you're playing gigs, as you just sort of explained, your taste is kind of heady, can be a bit left field. Do you ever find yourself placed in front of a big drunk crowd that kind of just wants party music? And how do you
2: play that situation? Mm -hmm. The good thing is if you have kind of like, let's call it the regular fall to the floor techno entertainment running, you can add all this other music that you love, the machines I'm using for DJing these days, it's very easy to combine these two. So it really happens that you have like like a normal like techno dance flow and you hear some melodic stuff on top of it. Kind of tweak it a little bit and give the the melodic one a little bit more attention while the dance stuff is like playing and the dance is continuing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always about balancing out things, but the regular dance vibe should go on, you know.
1: Right. So it's easy for you to find a compromise,
2: Yeah, basically. I think these days it is. Yeah, it's good.
1: You kind of mentioned the machines you use for DJing. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your technical setup at this point?
2: So I come from the very old school way of playing music with two turntables. So you play one song and the next one is mixed in the end of the the previous one, and then it's an ongoing thing. Starting to do podcasts and do more designing podcasts in the computer, I was always thinking about, hey, I would like to bring this to the club, the way I design the mixes in the computer, but it's not very entertaining from my point of view, to have somebody just there with a, with a laptop and, like, designing stuff on the computer. So
1: would you use Ableton or something to
2: do podcasts? This is the thing I do most of the time. And in the clubs, I'm using CDJs. Like, these two worlds come together. Like, the, the way Ableton works with music files and the CDJ world, that comes together, in a way. But of course, the CDJ using CDJs is much more spontaneous, and that goes back to the more classic way of DJing. You know, hmm. so at the moment, I have a lot of fun with DJing this way.
1: So, what is it exactly? As you're just, you're pretty much purely using CDJs, and you're layering different things on top of each other. How does it work?
2: That's the simple way to explain it, basically.
1: So, before you kind of mentioned um, that you would have like the dance stuff just running, and that then you would. You know, float something else in on top. I guess in terms of like, you know, track to track, mm-hmm. are you just transitioning from one track to the next, or are you kind of getting
2: fancier with it? It's various things you can do, but mainly one track's playing, and instead of letting the break drop, I put in another song that is on a third deck, which is more the melodic song maybe, you know, and then the the, the break of the techno song is filled with the complete new diff- song from a t- totally different genre, mm-hmm. and then in the meantime another deck is preparing the next song that is going to play for everybody to dance to and all these happen at the same time in a way merged it's a lot of working on the EQ actually on your mixer to balance all these songs out but it's quite fun because it reminds me on how like working in a studio you know when you equalize all these channels you know Mm. so it's quite a lot of EQing work during the set.
1: <laughs> do you have sort of like the rhythmic tracks, like the drum heavy tracks, and then kind of less heavy things or more uh, atmospheric things that you can bring mm-hmm. on top? Like do you do you mm-hmm. have kind of different categories of tracks that all work together? Yeah,
2: a little bit like this. So there are sections in my, let's call it iTunes, or collection of folders where you name your folders and you, you throw in all the music, like the more dance stuff, the broken techno, Not really intro techno stuff, but stuff without percussions, but things that still have a groove. When I have a great track that I want to play, I additionally try and find a non percussion track that matches this one Hmm. to, like, yeah, make it a a bit prettier sometimes. Hmm. But that's just one way. It's during DJing, during the process, you also get loads of ideas. And then you you switch around and then you're back into the regular world of DJing where you have an idea and you do, you know, stuff that is not that planned.
0: Hmm.
1: So it's kind of a combination of tracks that you know work together, but then it's also, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of it's on the fly. Yeah,
2: yeah. Sometimes people come to me after my set and they were really liking the remix that I was playing. And actually, Hmm. it was not a remix. It was some combination that I found out you know, that works fine together, but sometimes things are really well-matched, you right. know, as if they were made for each other.
1: That's, you know, arguably one of the most interesting things that CDJs have introduced mm-hmm. to craft of DJing, is that you can hold these mixes for so long and, mm-hmm. yeah, sort of make remixes on the fly.
2: Yeah, I think so too.
1: And do you do anything else with the CDJs, like um, looping or any <coughs> of the other kind of functions? That they um
2: it's funny I have to laugh about it because there are so so many functions in the machines but there's not so much time to do all that because <laughs> you're kind of like I need all that that time to uh balance out the songs to make a match between each other to to make it sound good you know so there's a lot of equalizing and and that I do more than playing around with the effects right but like a like a loop function is of course something I do too you know the way I was using the CDJs the first time. Of course, nobody told me how to do it, and I uh, had no idea. So I just brought some files on a USB stick and attached it to it. And uh, it was quite okay, but I felt very clumsy and insecure the first time. So you have two decks running, and it's in, in the mix, and you just drop in a third one from the CDJ. I wanted to go back to the turntables as fast as possible because it was too weird for me yeah. in the beginning but then yeah i fortunately met some people from the company pioneer, pioneer yeah. they gave me an introduction you know how to use these and ever since i uh, i focus on on that much more
1: do you have any streak of like uh so-called like vinyl purism or do you have any like romance for vinyl as a thing?
2: I think so. And there are really places where I, I really like to just play the, the whole track and uh, give all the respect to how the artist wants it to be, you know. Mm. And that mostly happens when I play house music or dubstep, for example, or reggae related parties yeah so i definitely like to uh, play rackets instead of the same song from from a from a other device you know sure do you
1: consider yourself uh, a collector you know are are you heavily into just the just the sort of um
2: the collecting music side Mm -hmm. of it when i hear about other collectors how they do collect and how they do this thing I would not call myself a collector but I have a quite big collection you know of of records but I was always a DJ and I think I will always be so you know I never put too much attention to you know uh, if the cover is 100% high quality and uh, I can have white labels and I draw a draw on it something like that so it's pretty you know regular, wild, DJ way of dealing with records.
1: Right, your collection is always in service of, of DJing, yes. basically. Yes, 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 yes. Over the years, has your method, your approach to DJing, sort of constantly changed? Or have there been eras where, mm. you know, you did it one way and then you rethought the whole thing? Or, you know, how has how is, how is your method kind of evolved over time?
2: DJing in general, like to make things with records more than just playing a record. That was something that always was interesting to me. I never was a a DJ that could scratch. But like using the crossfader and making kind of like uh, tricks with double copies, that was something I really liked back in the days. When I saw other DJs doing that, I tried it also and it was a lot of fun, you know. And these were DJs from Detroit mainly. So there, of course, there was Jeff Mills, then DJ Godfather, DJ Assault. These guys were all, yeah, more turntableists, actually. There were several years where I really liked that, and I was DJing this way.
1: Like back in the day, you said, like when
2: you were were younger? I would say something between 96 and 2000, something like that.
1: When did you become a resident at Bear Kine.
2: Yeah, I think the first flyers that I found were from 2005, where my name was included. and That's like right, right when it opened. I think so. I was not playing every month, but it became more and more. So Fidel, he was resident already at the old place at uh, Osgood and Panorama Bar. And I was playing at the old Panorama Bar a few times with him. He recommended to have me as well for some nights and so I continue to DJ at Berghain and you know at Berghain you have a four hour set and if you are a turntablist and do all this like DJ action for four hours it's quite hard to do and people there I think they they do not appreciate it that much. They want to more keep an ongoing flow and you know have a like a like a solid more grounded dance. I would mm. say I don't know how to say it in English. Yeah, instead of getting confused by DJ mixed tricks, you know. <laughs> so my DJ style changed a little bit.
1: Sort of forced you to develop a more kind of subtle hypnotic style instead of the you know mm. more kind of in your face trick heavy mm. style you had before.
2: Yeah, the well, it was not super trick heavy, but you know, it was more important to keep the groove and keep the flow, instead of breaks and all that stuff, you know, and rewinds and...
1: <laughs> Did you find that you liked this new style, or was your heart kind of still with the other...?
2: Yeah, it was not a thing that happened from one day to the next day, kind of, you know. It's more adapting during a period of time. So, yeah, it was easy, easy and fun to adapt. Yeah, mm-hmm. If you are DJing for four hours in a row, And in the end, you do not realize that the four hours passed already. (laughs) That's a good sign. So I've had these moments quite a bit.
1: What's your kind of ideal DJ situation? Or what's the sort of party or the style of DJing that would make you most happy?
2: Hmm, It's not so easy to say because I have a lot of fun doing all these ways of presenting music, like live projects... Collaborations with other artists that I have, and just regular DJing, more bar type of DJing that I do sometimes. You know. <laughs> so what would that be like, Paloma Bar or something? Something like that, oh. or previous years playing at the second floor or third floor at a at a big venue or something like that. In terms of the regular DJ like techno biz, I would say like three hours are needed for me to play all the 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 new tracks with. The, the sound and style that I want to present. So mm. that's quite a, the best time to do mm. actually. In terms of time, you know. Yeah, sure. Like a sure. three hour set is the minimum. Yeah. yeah. You've had
1: other projects over the years, you made music as substance and you do TR-101 with Sleep Archive. But it seems like DJing has always been your primary, I guess you could say, mode
2: of mm-hmm. artistic expression. Mm-hmm. Is that how it feels Mm -hmm. to you? Well, it's the easiest thing to do because collaborating with other people always needs a little planning, of course, and uh, it's (laughs) it's kind of easy to deal with yourself when you're DJing alone, in a way, or, or playing live. You know, that is the the thing that I always focused on because it was easy, you know. But at the same time. The other projects are really fun, and I, and I hope to continue them as as long as possible. Mm-hmm. So let's say Ti 101 and the Tiki Man show, for example. Mm-hmm. That would be something I can do forever.
1: Uh, I'd like to talk a bit about hard wax, mm-hmm. um, since that's sort of a cornerstone of your identity and your personal history. I mean, I imagine you know, anyone that's ever kind of spent any time at hard wax I've, or something that always crossed my mind was even working there one day a week as you do now, your exposure to new music is sort of extraordinary, just sitting there the music that gets played in the shop. Do you feel like that was a significant, you know, kind of um, uh, influence on the music that you play and your
2: taste? It definitely formed me the way I am today. It's much more the things that are connected, Hardwax in terms of that move that happened in 96 when Hardwax uh, moved to Paul Linköfer and where some things came together the mastering studio so there were some things all put together at one place where you saw all this like record making process happening in a way mm-hmm. so next door was the place where the records were cut and then sent to the pressing plants. And at one point they arrived at hardwax and we, we sold them. <laughs> so this whole process to see that was very important to see how everything works and how everything comes together.
1: And that's at the new location?
2: That's the new know? location, if you want to call it new, but it's, right, there, the, it's the current location. Yeah, yeah, the current. That was very important and quite unique, I would say. But most of the time, it was the, the music friends that I'm working with until today, I've all met them through Hardwax. Mm-hmm. So there's uh, Sleep Archive, there's Surgeon, there's Vancouver, to name the, the guys I, I, I still work with frequently. Yeah, so that was the best thing that ever happened. Hmm. At that, that point where everything came together and you meet friends hmm. that you still work with
1: in music. And you're talking about, a, is it dub plates and Mastering? Correct. That's, so it's just, it's like right next door? To exactly. To
2: the shop, okay. Yeah, same floor.
1: Right, okay. So even beyond the actual exposure to music, it's the shop's role as a kind of hub that seems like it kind of had the most mm-hmm. value to you. And am I right in thinking that the way you kind of joined that family or became a member of staff was was just from hanging out at at the old shop?
2: It is. It's very simple. It's like that. So the old shop opened in 89 in Kreuzberg. When I found out about it, I just went there. And ever since, I became a frequent customer, hanging out there, making friends with everybody who worked there and the owners. And at one point, one uh, person invited me to work half time and ever since I'm there. So it's very easy. And back then,
1: I guess if I'm trying to imagine the the culture and atmosphere of Berlin and its music scene in that moment in the late 80s, you know what was so striking about Hardwax, or why did it have this magnetic pull on on some people?
2: Mhm. Well, I was just starting being interested in dance music like in, in house and techno. You go to the chain stores and you sometimes get other other records on German labels that licensed music from American labels, something like that. That was the stuff that I first bought for my collection. And Hardwax was the specialist doing direct imports, which was completely new to me. I've never seen that ever before. That was probably very, very special. And also, yeah, just to focus on underground music in general. That's what probably was totally different for me.
1: So, at that basically, in the late eighties in Berlin, records from other parts of the world are not available at all or they're not easily available and so that was something special that hard wax
2: offered that's that's true and because these records are not really were not available in the in the, in the regular chain stores, and slowly you find out about original pressings from from the original country and records that just got licensed so that's the thing that started to uh be interesting to get the originals and Rex was importing these mm-hmm. and was it
1: interesting to find for instance there was house and techno music coming from the states or there was this weird music coming from the uk that basically beyond hearing the this you know killer music was it also just was there a sense of discovery of, of finding out that these things were happening in these other places
2: in the world that was also very interesting because first i for example i've heard about house and acid house music via the uk channel so there was a bit there was an acid house hype in the uk and this is what i've heard first and then later i found out that it, it all is, was rooted in chicago that was interesting to see.
1: Beyond hearing these records, what were some experiences you had in that time that sort of hooked you on on this culture, on this world? You know, nights out or early Berlin techno moments?
2: Yeah, too many to mention, actually. <laughs> well, on the other hand, there were not so many locations where you could go. To listen to that type of music. So there were these locations. Number one, it was the UFO club, UFO club. Later, Tresor and E-Work. So to mention these, these uh, clubs, Tresor and E-Work, were around for a long period. But in the very beginning, it was the UFO actually. That all happened in 88 and 89 and 90, but then I think it closed. So this was the. Yeah, this was uh, the place to go to listen to that original house-and-acid music Hmm. and that was really mind-blowing because you go to a cellar and there's no lights, just strobe and fog and just music. You don't deal with the people, you're just there with yourself and (laughs) listen to this crazy music and that was of course mind-blowing because until that point you only know about discotheques Hmm. or concerts. You know, so.
1: And so that feeling of being kind of submerged, or like as you said, you you don't you're not really in contact with the other people there. Mm. That that was part. Of, that was kind of like a radically new thing, I guess.
2: It was, yeah. You're, of course, you're on your own, and with dealing with yourself and the sound and the music, and but at the same time, you're united with everyone else in a way. You know, mm. and it was a small kind of like a small, very small scene. So, you know, everybody knew each other, so that's fun, too. It was radical.
1: (laughs) Does that seem like a preposterously long time ago at this point, or does it still
2: kind of feel fresh in your mind somehow? It's fresh in my mind, because I'm still using music from that time until today. So it's it's very, yeah, very real and very current, you know. What were you listening to before... That came along. Mm-hmm. I don't exactly remember when I kind of realized that I I I like a certain type of music. So let's say because we're talking about thirty years, so which is eighty eight. So on the radio and on the music TV channels, you saw something like uh, bomb the bass. I remember, even I think uh, in a city, at. I released Todd Terry, had videos on the music television, for example. And this was all stuff that, yeah, it was pop music, but still the beginning of House & Techno. Hmm.
1: Which records from that time do you still play now? You said there are a few that you still bust out.
2: For example, there's always some some Chicago acid records that I still play, which is um, Chris... Westbrook's label, West Westbrook. There was Bam Bam, for example. I play these still. A lot of future. Yeah, it's kind of hardwired <laughs> in my selection in a way.
1: We've kind of touched on it in moments, but in general, how do you think it is that you kept such a healthy passion for this in all that time? You have know, f- basically. For many people, it would be hard to, you know, it's one thing to like this music for all those years, but you've been really closely engaged with it. Have there ever been moments where you just felt sick of it? Or, you know, did you ever feel disappointed with the new music that was coming out? Or mm-hmm. or have you sort of had a, you know, a healthy relationship with it the
2: whole time? Mm. Well, I think we have to go back to Hardwax, what it sure. does on me. Right? Yeah, sure. So it was it was really a great teacher and Hardwax, with the selection there is today and there was back in the days, helped to be interested in all these types of music. And uh, I think the first time I remember when people at Hardwax played me reggae music that was totally off the, the all-day thing you, you were listening to. And like, like studio albums, no vocals, and just the the regular stuff the, the 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 regular instruments here in reggae and there are all these albums and you, when you listen to these you can yeah you can just hear the grooves and it it was very open-minded to listen to to that type of music you know that was inspiring and to to keep on listening to reggae and and techno and all these other styles but not even not only now, all, through the whole period of time. To mix these all together in your sets and play different locations, that's entertaining and that keeps me passionate about it. Hmm. I don't know if I would have been that passionate about techno for all the years if I just would play techno.
1: Yeah, sure. Not sure. So it's kind of just a matter of having, you know, broad taste, having an open mind and mm-hmm. sort of challenging yourself too, I guess.
2: I think so. That's the one of the key things, I guess.
1: You know, okay, so there are some DJs that are strictly like professional djs in the sense that this is how they make a living um they play as many gigs as possible Mm -hmm. festivals whatever they just you know best paid gigs as frequently as possible Mm -hmm. and then there's djs who are kind of on this different tier where it's slightly more they're not like famous they're respected but Mm -hmm. yeah djs djs sort of a vaguely defined term but Mm -hmm. i guess the interesting thing to me is there are people who have this kind of mystique of like a headsy underground DJ with really good taste. I guess in general, I feel like you sort of occupy this space of mm-hmm. play a few times a month or whatever, um, and then you still keep one foot in the door at a normal job Hard Wax. Mm-hmm. And I guess kind of that level of commitment to DJing, uh, is that something that you're happy with, that you would want to just sort of stick with forever? Or if it were up to you, you know, would you just DJ? Like, would if, you know, do you have this sort of personal... Fantasy, a personal ambition of, of just yeah being a full time DJ, I guess.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually the plan <laughs> to stay a full time music person now. The, the DJ's DJ thing is interesting. The way you explain it, I like it very much because there are these, these DJs that are able to play like festivals where you play in front of 8,000 people and then you can play the bar where it's like 10 so this is actually what's happening in my life right now and i like that i do not like these things where you really uh uh, you exhaust yourself with like playing three gigs in a row it's not healthy at all i would say the super popular djs and i see them arriving at the venue they go on stage and they leave right away and then they go run to the next one this is the job i do not like to do you know I still want to have kind of a club or music experience during the night I'm there. You, know? you want to hang out and see yeah. other people play? Something like that. Yeah, that's a desired thing. And it's, it's happening, fortunately, you know. So and that can go on as long as possible.